today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station. Sorry, Will, I'm adjusting my uh, knobs here because I think I've... I fudged with something, so hopefully you can keep us on track back at your end. All right, uh, sorry. Are, are we on? I didn't. <laughs> yes, production live. Uh, the intercom that Will and I use to talk to each other is the same one you and I are using to talk to each other. Hey, Will, am I loud enough? Turn that up, turn that down, turn that off. Your intercom is stuck. Okay. Some of the, uh, some of the off-air stuff that is now on air as we uh, enjoy the Scott Thompson Home Show. Where the heck am I? Uh, I'm at home. I know that. Uh, oh, it's uh, going to bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. We're going to talk about China. Uh, lots of action going on uh, in that part of the world that uh, we are always curious of, uh, including a, a recent article in the Globe and Mail, uh, Infectious Disease Scientists at Canada's High Security Lab uh, collaborate with China, and where does that information end up? Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, and with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you, Scott. Same to you. So, obviously, Elliot, we've heard lots of chatter of late about uh, information sharing and, and where that information ends up, and, and does it end up in the wrong hands uh, once it is in China. Um, why, why are you concerned about this? Uh, and is this about, why are we studying this? Is this about studying and learning more about these pathogens? Is this about biowarfare? Uh, why are these even, why are these exchanges even going on? Yes. Well, several things there. And I, I guess my, my first comment is that global cooperation on a whole range of things uh, really is a good thing. We, we better have a global response and a lot of in-depth background on, you know, by researchers around the world on some of the key issues that are facing us. That would include climate, and it certainly would include uh, infectious diseases now. The uh, second thing I would say is that the cooperation with China should not come as a surprise. It's part of that global cooperation. But we are learning a lot more in recent times about what this China in front of us is about. It's a, it's, we, we, the word naive is being used uh, loosely right now, broadly, but the fact is that China has really come into focus in a different way than we thought when these kind of exchanges were, were set up. And remember, we have Confucius Institutes around Canada, various universities, so that's close to my own bailiwick. A lot of cooperation was considered a good thing, not a bad thing, and China is a primary source of uh, our international students that so you know that come to our campuses and that's I've, I've always thought was a really good thing but now we're coming to uh, we're now at day number 892 mm. of the two Michaels being in Chinese prisons on everybody's uh, you know quite bogus charges related to the fact that Meng Wanzhou has been arrested in Canada and is living in her mansions while she awaits extradition hearings, which are still going ahead, but not going to go ahead now until August. So that's going, that saga goes on. But the point is that China is coming into focus in a far different way today than we saw them not long ago. So the origin of that cooperation agreement comes out of an era when cooperation was seen, I think for very good reasons, and it's not just with China, but around the world, but now we're looking at China. So I think the... Uh, the cooperation agreement made a lot of sense at the time. Uh, 
but now we're seeing a lot more about uh, the nature of today's China, and it has led to scientists, and as that, that story covers, uh, scientists who have connections to China being relieved of their security clearances and marched off the premises. When does this become a bad thing? Uh, when does it become, when are we concerned about the exchange of this information? Yeah, again, I've got a couple of responses to that. The first is the, the actual security implications. You know, our intelligence services are, are there to, to tell us <laughs> when, to answer the question you just asked, when is it a good thing, when is it a bad thing? We've, we've got to, and sometimes economic and political concerns then wash over, you know, sure, we heard from security people, but we've got economic relations and we've got, you know, political relations. We've, so higher priority is given to other than the, the initial intelligence. But the intelligence services are there, plus, you know, we're part of Five Eyes, so we're, we're not alone in gathering information about what kind of regime this in, is. And they are and they are showing themselves what kind of regime they, they are by the arrest of the two Michaels, but also Canadian journalists are doing a, a real job on China. So, you know, the Claws of the Panda. Now there's a new book coming out tomorrow, I believe, talking about the relationship. I don't want to promote this because I, I don't know the background of it, but a lot of concern about intelligence services and criminal gangs and state agents. When it becomes a concern is, and this is my first part of the answer, is our intelligence services and others will tell us, we hope, that what we thought was a good thing is a bad thing. The second part of this, however, I want to emphasize, I'm concerned that anti-Asian hate groups have been, you know, hate incidents have been on the rise. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't want to see our concern increasingly becoming more relevant and visible over what China is up to, to translate into domestic concerns over who's in front of us, uh, you know, this Wuhan virus and all that. Uh, Chinese hate, anti-Asian hate is on the increase in Canada, and we do not want our concern over the rise of China and how it behaves to translate into, you know, this kind of domestic situation of hate uh, being targeted against people of Asian background. And again, we like to emphasize this is not about Chinese Canadians. This is about the Chinese Communist Party and their actions of late. So the sharing of this info, Elliot, is this about research uh, and uh, development uh, of a vaccine and such that will help us treat these infectious diseases? Is this about researching infectious diseases or is this about biowarfare? Well, we want the we want the first. We fear the second. And that's that's our uh, and precisely put. The situation is, you know, SARS came out of that area. Uh, swine flu has been in, so we need global cooperation on what to do about global pandemics, and that kind of cooperation requires, you know, a lot of global uh, global agreements and global uh, actual testing together and sharing of information. If it can then be, and that's the concern raised in the article you mentioned, if that can be taken into military uh, confines, and then what the particular concern in this case was they would re-engineer the pathogens that are being worked on in terms of vaccines into something that is something quite different, and that something quite different would be used for biological warfare purposes. China, of course, is not the only one, uh, the only state that 
we, we have to be concerned about. All, all major states, I think, have probably exper- experimented with bioweapons, and we actually have conventions about that. There's, there's international conventions over the development and deployment of chemical weapons. I, we're very concerned, for example, about North Korea, which, apart from its nuclear capacity, and North Korea, that opens up another conversation, uh, North Korea... Uh, apparently has a very deep stock of chemical and biological weapons as well. You know, our own departments of foreign affairs, or whatever we're currently calling it, GAC today, uh, has a whole division devoted to bioweapons and non-conventional weapons of warfare. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've heard the phrase many times, uh, China will win World War III without firing a shot. Um, uh, and, and I think what I found disturbing in this piece in the Globe and Mail was they were suggesting that China was or had the possibility or the connections to create such pathogens only to come in with a life-saving vaccine that would help us and save us all. Uh, is that fiction? Is that fact? Heroic rescue. <laughs> yeah. That's the term. Uh, would they... Do- would they release something and then come to come to the rescue of states that have it? I think really there's a, a subtle difference in the article about that. One is they might be developing weapons based on research meant for medicine, medicinal pandemic purposes, and the other is that they they may find a way to uh, not necessarily release these things, but then to say we have such deep knowledge of all these things based on our research uh, and. and, and we should hesitate here and say that intellectual theft is one of the uh, big charges facing China in all kinds of ways. This is one other, another example of the concern over intellectual yeah. theft, theft of intellectual property. In this case, very deadly or life-saving. So the possibility that they could they could do that that's that's certainly a possibility. We have a much more real situation now, where in fact China is using vaccine diplomacy going particularly to Africa, where they've mm-hmm. locked up research contracts for and long-term, saying we, we also have, it's not just Pfizer, it's not just Johnson & Johnson. Uh, both China and Russia have developed their own vaccines, and they're going around Africa right now in particular and saying, here, we're here to help you, here's our vaccines, and nobody else is helping you, and you'll have to remember that as time goes by. Uh, any reason to expect bio warfare here? It, is the, it, it almost seems uh, like old school. Uh, are you surprised we're talking about this? No, I'm. I'm worried we're talking about it. And along yeah. with that, uh, the term cyber warfare has been entering much more prominently. But uh, yes, it's old-fashioned to talk about this. Remember, mustard gas was used extensively in the First World War. And then well, the- even when we were talking about uh, Russians poisoning spies and such, it seemed yeah, like something so, out of the old I, days. I was going to move forward. So, yeah, so we, we have conventions based on the original use of chemical warfare. Then a lot of things were developed as part of the Second World War, and one of those apparently shows up with Russia using, you know, Novichok in, in, in a NATO allies, you know, the U.K. is one of our allies, but also a NATO ally in terms of poisoning of opponents. Uh, there was also just use of radioactive material, the Linfenenko case. So the possibility that state agents, either directly or indirectly, will deploy uh, chemical or biological aspects of warfare in peacetime around the world 
in peacetime is there, but of course, uh, more massively, we have the case of situation in Syria where chemical warfare was used during a civil war against civilian populations. It's a, it, we have not solved the question about what to do about chemical and biological warfare. We are working on it, and this kind of story kind of brings it back from the back burner to the front burner. It, it's an issue. I know you wanted to touch on South Korean President Moon being in the United States. What uh, significance of that? Well, first of all, it's it's one of the first visits of, <laughs> that Joe Biden is receiving. Uh, he's not been taking a lot of foreign visitors. So the fact that it's South Korea is important in and of itself. And, of course, we're talking about China because South Korea has to deal with North Korea. North Korea is really a, a protectorate of China. What China chooses to do or not to do about North Korea has a lot to do with the fate of the world because China, uh, in a sense, wants to preserve the regime, even though the regime now has gone nuclear in a big way. But, of course, they also do have, as we discussed, chemical and biological warfare. So one of the topics that is going to be on the agenda for uh, the Biden-President Moon um, summit. He's there for five days, by the way. It's, a, it's an unusually mm. long visit from a foreign visitor in his final year in office. But they, they have a whole long laundry list. But one of those is going to be China, I'm sorry, U.S., Japan, South Korea cooperation in facing, in facing China. And of course, the, unfortunately, the situation right now between China and South Korea is fraught. So here's the U.S. trying to find a way to square that circle. How does China feel about this visit? Yeah. Well, I haven't heard. <laughs> I suspect they, they would consider it normal, and they will monitor it very, very closely to see if uh, what, what kinds of military and security, more broadly security uh, announcements come out of it. The U.S. has just finished a North Korean review, review of North Korean policy. Uh, it hasn't been fully released, I don't think, but we, we get a lot of hints about it. The U.S. really wants to maintain the agreement between the U.S. and North Korea that was reached under Trump in Singapore, which, of course, nobody followed through on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, so what to do about a North Korea that's nuclear-armed and has delivery capacity is, is a big-ticket item. China is clearly a factor in that. They're, they still share something called the six-party talks, and they're not delivering. They are not delivering on what a big power should be doing, and they are um, behaving in ways that make us question if this is, a, this is a country that says, and they have the ability that, you know, the West is declining, the East is rising, that China is going to be the foremost country in the world by 2050, and by 2030 it's going to be a central power and so forth. Uh, they're, they're not behaving in a way, and here's a, here's a way to test it, uh, like a great power. You know, they're not, they're not uh, ready for prime time if... Mm. if uh, they allow a North Korea to behave the way it has if they are eng engaged in the kinds of if, and that's a big if, the kind of security concerns over biological and chemical weapons that those headlines suggest. Uh, what about uh, U.S. warship patrols in the South China Sea? That's making headlines this week. Yeah, it's too little too late. Everybody took their eye off the ball. China moved into clearly not their traditional territory. They found the background on this is they found an old map that had nine dashes on it, as they call it, showing that those dashes, everything inside those dashes is Chinese, and that includes mm -hmm. basically the entire South China Sea. 
Uh, Taiwan, by the way, has 11 dashes for the same thing. But they've never been a sea power. They've never really, that's never really been traditionally their territory. And there's a lot of other countries there that say no, you know, particularly the Philippines and Vietnam. There's overlapping claims there. Um, So now the U.S. is, particularly with the 7th Fleet, is having these freedom of navigation operations. They just keep sailing through because this is open seas in terms of the world. This is territorial water in terms of China. The U.S. is saying we aren't going to follow that. We're not going to go along with it. This is free and open. And Japan is leading a, uh, an initiative called the Free and Ocean, uh, Open Indo-Pacific. Uh, China uh, is watching that closely. That's a, an India-Japan relationship. There's something called the Quad there, by the way. And there's, will South Korea join that? So there's a lot of activity now, I think very belatedly, in dealing with the a fact that we have an assertive China that is laying claim. By the way, Canada is playing a, a role there. We have a frigate called, interestingly enough, the Ottawa, uh, HMS, uh, CS, uh, Ottawa, which has gone through that Strait of Taiwan twice last year, and then they were trailed, followed by Chinese military vessels uh, as they go through what we consider to be uh, ter- you know, open water and China considers to be territorial water. This is a, a global hot spot on the sea in Canada uh, we twice last year and then once this year. So I think the fact that Taiwan is back on the agenda is something we all need to keep an eye on. Uh, Taiwan considers this maybe on their yet-to-do list. Uh, I shouldn't say China. Xi Jinping hmm. has really asserted China in a way that is surprising to the world. And so coming back to where we started, China is an existing power it's the second largest, maybe the largest economy in the world. It has a great deal of interaction with the world in many, many ways, a lot to offer. But it has to behave in a way, it has to behave in a way that says that they are responsible international citizens and potential global leaders. Elliot Tepper with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science with Carleton University, talking about all things China, whether it is infectious diseases or warships going up and down the South China Sea. Elliot, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Uh, Same to you, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.